0: Everyone, Rob here, struggling manfully against the effects of a cold, but happy to do so for our fantastic listeners. As young Mark intimated at the end of the last episode, 1982 proved too big a topic for just one episode. Plus, the editing threatened to end his life. So here's me introducing part two of our 1982 drag from the archives. Mark, who is currently sunning himself down the coast, you bastard, asked me to point out that there is more craziness in the CT News articles for the second half of the year than recent Twitter complaints of fans receiving their banged-up Season 22 Blu-ray box sets in the post. So, before this intro drags on longer than it took Boris Johnson to see the writing on the wall and quit, I invite you to lie back, think of England, and let Part 2 of our 1982 Drag From the Archives wash over you.
1: This is Z, so let's do a tour room from July, and the last time we read a, a death notice uh, regarding uh, somebody from Doctor Who, i.e. Kit Peddler, we sort of lost our shit a bit, didn't we, really? We sort of laughed a lot. Uh, Inappropriately. Yeah, well, i know, locked in the car with very little oxygen. So um, <laughs> let's try, reel it in a bit. Yes. And uh, let's just pretend we're presenting death notices over community radio in Dubbo, shall I?
0: I've never been. Have
1: you been to Dubbo before? Yes, I went, oh, oh late 80s, I went on the way up to Queensland, because we used to do the three-day drive, you know, and mm. Dubbo was on the way. But a uh, friend of the podcast, Rob Lloyd, is from Dubbo.
0: Is it in central New South Wales? Is it-
1: I don't know, but they've got a very nice radio telescope there. So, uh Ooh, Yeah, okay. exactly. But I feel like we want to recreate some Logopolis action.
0: <laughs> don't forget to bring a cutout, a cardboard cutout, all right, for your villain. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> Alwyn Jones has sadly passed
1: away uh, sometime in
0: 1982.
1: Sorry for starting this issue off on such a sombre note, but I'm sure... You will all be saddened to hear of the death of Elwyn Jones. Mr. Jones, who was 59, died on Wednesday, 19th of May, at his home in South Wales. His most famous claims to fame were Zed Cars and Softly Softly, both of which he created for television. I'll stop the Welsh accent now. Dr. He fans, of course, remember him as the co-writer with Jerry Davis of the 1966-67 historical story, The Highlanders, Patrick Troughton's second tale which introduced longest-running companion Jamie. Sadly, the BBC no longer possesses a print of this tale, thus it seems unlikely we shall ever get a chance to re-see it, perhaps one day. Possibly as a tribute, we can expect the Target to break their apparent self-imposed ban on historical stories and the Highlanders, May once again be open to all and sundry. Rest in peace, Elwyn Jones. But I think there's a couple of things I need to correct on that. Uh, I think it came out later on that Elwyn Jones uh, did bugger all on the Highland. This was all Jerry Davis's, uh, you know, putting it together in terms of the print. Well, how's that, Radom? Right? We can go and Rob.
0: Well, I have been uh, watching Where Eagles Dare on a high rotation just to pick up some, you know, tips and hints. I can be Clint Eastwood if you'll be Richard Burton. Is that how it's going to work? or
1: It, it might be, actually. It's more <laughs> like we're Wigan there, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, and then this uh, last bit about Target doing their apparent self-imposed ban on historical stories. I actually think it was more around a self-imposed ban on uh, first and second doctor stories. I think they were trying to just do the more recent uh, doctors, and then I think by 83, 84, they started to release a handbrake a bit and uh, went through the back catalogue, as it were. So- uh, the other
0: headline on the front page of Social Toy Room for July is uh, reads, Omega 2, question mark. Now, clearly... Uh, Gary is just ramping up coverage of uh, the making of The Ark of Infinity. He's taken some tips, I think, from the great showman that was JNT. Uh, he begins, The Scottish Daily Record has done it again. If one day someone lists all the important sources for Doctor Who information, the Daily Record deserves a special mention. This time, that esteemed newspaper in their 8th of May, 1982 edition, published a full colour photograph of Peter Davison, Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding, the latter in her new costume, all on location in Amsterdam. The article describes the companions as two nubile young ladies and as part of the doctor's harem. Wow. Really? Wow. I mean, <laughs> Mark, you're a, you're a. The Welsh are Celts like the Scots. Can you explain what's going on with the Daily Record? Is that what's going on there? What sort of newspaper well, is it?
1: I think they've basically been at the pub. It's not the Daily
0: Smuts, is it? Or by any chance? No, it's, it's the,
1: not Screws of the World, is it?
0: <laughs> Mark, it appears that this Daily Record article is actually an expansion of a Daily Express story from the same date goes on to reveal that Ark of Infinity shock horror is story one and will mm. be based around Davison's mission of tracking down renegade Time Lords. Uh, did we? Was there ever a mission that Do- Doctor would go around tracking down renegade Time Lords, or is it just the Daily Express making stuff up? No,
1: all no. He was doing was hunting
0: one, wasn't he? Really? Yeah. So the record with the headline of the Doctor goes double Dutch, which just sounds dirty.
1: That's
0: clever. I know. Oh, mm. Anyway, expands on this by explaining that the villain is a nasty villain called Omega,
1: hmm.
0: or Omega. Is it that omega? Well, that's that's Gary's question. Which omega would it be, Gary? I'm just wondering. Oh, no. <laughs> actually, this reminds me that um, I remember purchasing the Three Doctors in Adelaide around this time. Actually, in Adelaide, of course, being the serial uh, murder capital of Australia. Just ask anyone who lives near Truro um, or the other one. Is it what was the one with the people with the bar- in the barrels in
1: the in the hashtag No the- Town.
0: But that's a that's a horrifying movie. It's excellent, but there's some I stuff in there. You gotta watch it, mate. It's it's disturbing. Anyway. Yeah. Moving right along from uh, alienating uh, uh, listeners in South Australia. So Omega, uh, Gary, sort of intimates, is it that one? Well, of course, we all know that it is. But at the time, you know, they're just sort of groping in the dark. Now, he says that according to the record, the story is an even more complicated than usual plot and has Davison manifesting himself in Amsterdam, not as the Doctor, but as a nasty villain called Omega. Like all the series villains, Omega is out to conquer the universe and it takes Davison, switching to his Doctor Who role, to outwit him. Do you realise that with the exception of John Pertwee, uh, Gary Russell says, every Doctor has faced a villainous doppelganger in the respective actor's second season? First, now this is for fact fans out there, I used to, We remember the um, uh, Laficierre guide to the series? They used to point, I I used to be fascinated because I've never seen these stories about these different, you know, robotic versions of Hartnell or doppelganger. So Gary goes on to say that Hartnell faced a robot killer in the chase, Pat Troughton confronted Salamander, in uh, enemy of the world and tom baker met a murderous android in the android invasion roll on next january or whenever the 20th season starts says gary gary's missed one he has what's he yes missed? the massacre the <sighs> abbot the abbot of mboa hashtag bad fan hashtag, gary hashtag bad. he was uh, gary was punished by being forced to come to australia and work here at some point yeah L- can- like a convict <laughs> transported <laughs>
1: <laughs> animations, the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. Actually, I heard, um,
0: Mark, which will probably pin the recording of this down, that the recent BFI screening of the um, two Dalek movies, hmm. there was a gossip going around that um, the animations were definitively dead, that there would mm. be no more animations, there's no more funding from the RIP uh,
1: animations. So it'd be telesnap reconstructions, if possible, or some sort of reconstructions, if possible. How
0: can you, Mark, uh, jazz up the telesnaps?
1: I've been listening to Toby Haydock podcast, and he's just no. done a commentary on, on the macro terror using right. telesnaps. I must admit, listening to that, I might go actually back and watch that, because I actually have never watched the telesnaps reconstructions on those discs. That sounds like i was obviously embellished them a bit and sort of made them a bit more, can you say, high-tech? I don't know. I don't know. How um, can you make them High-tech. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like it got some vague moving images in there. Oh, so I see. I, see. So I might go yeah. back and actually watch because I must admit, I wasn't a big fan of the animation and I'm not a big fan of the story either, but it sort of intrigued me. Yeah. Absolutely. Nah, so they're, tr- really. they're
0: stretching that five pound budget to the very last pence. Is that what you're saying, Mark?
1: Pretty much. Intrigued to uh, go and watch it, I think, and it's um oh, restored telly snappyish glory. So what um, other
0: article uh, for the July CT, Mark, will we look at next?
1: Well, speaking of records, I've got some bad news for you. Uh, what? Apparently, uh, PRT Records, formerly known as Pi Records, who distributes the BBC stuff, have deleted a whole load of uh, material from the catalogue amongst a plethora of humorous records, theme singles, uh, including the rather good Tomorrow's World theme. Another hmm. LPs is the record entitled BBC Space Themes, which includes its Star Trek and Blake Seven, and of course Ron Grainer's original Doctor Who theme. However, the Genesis of the Daleks album didn't go out in this batch, so that it will remain available for some time yet. Now, actually, I've just bought the um, 2016 reissue of Genesis of the Daleks. That was on World vinyl record- night? World Record Day. It was actually on blue colored vinyl. So uh, well. it, it turned up to the day. I'm going to give it a. Give it a listen on the, on the weekend. So Now, uh, is it a
0: double-disc set?
1: It's just a reprint of the 79 vinyl that came out, which condensed two-and-a-half-hour story into two 15-20-minute sides on a vinyl, and it still made more sense than the JNT edit of uh, Genesis The Daleks in 82. So, um, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to uh, giving you a listen.
0: I believe I picked up from a second-hand shop uh, the 79 release on vinyl. I don't have a vo- I don't have a a player. I've never had a player, um, so I'm not quite sure exactly how I'm meant to you know you know absorb it. Maybe I can just sort of hold it to my forehead and just rub it gently uh, against my flesh. But um, yeah, okay. So they're deleting titles there. Uh, pie yes. records, interesting. Yeah. Arrivederci. The
1: uh, the pie has crumbled. The next one is new costume. Actually, that ought to have read new costumes, but I couldn't fit the last s on. Obviously, the last set. <laughs> That's a problem. Well, um, you've
0: got to get down to the news agency to buy new ones or the art art supply store, I suppose. And it is, you know, exactly. Gary's a busy man. In He's 82, Gary man. was a very busy man.
1: Briefly reported last issue, both Nyssa and Tegan will be wearing new costumes next season. Janet Fielding's has already been uh, seen nationally in the press. But for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to attempt to describe it. Basically, though, it resembles a negligee with a petticoat underneath. Sarah Sutton has yet to be publicly revealed. That's her costume, that is. Uh, certainly, according to the press, both companions are very leggy and uh, there to please the ever complaining dads. And there's a picture there of Davison and Tegan on a bike. The cut around Davison's head is, I'd say, shabby at best. Yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. Uh,
0: I'm just wondering if, if at that point when that photo was taken, that was the moment that Peter Davison decided, I'm out because they've got him on some sort of, is it a tandem?
1: It's a tandem, yeah. It's a t- tandem, sorry, yeah, yes. It's, it's a two-person thing- bike. Yeah, it's missing Bill Oddie at the
0: end. It's a shocker. It's a shocker. Yeah. And just as is um, Janet Fielding's costume, which look we've both we both lived through the eighties, Mark, and uh, fashion was not a high point during that period. And whatever they forced Janet Fielding to wear, uh, another low point in eighties costuming for the show. Unfortunately, I'm just trying to work out which is worse, Davo's costume or hers.
1: I think it's a bit of a contest between the two, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, um, but at least they haven't got mullets, which have unfortunately made a return.
0: Oh, imagine if they gave the doctor uh, a mullet, <laughs> <laughs> an 80s-style mullet. Did you have a mullet during the 80s, Mark?
1: It wasn't full mullet like now, but, yeah, yeah. it was a little bit, um, sort of a half mullet, a mul, half mullet, half. mullet tie really. But aren't nice. you, Rob?
0: No, well, uh, that, didn't, uh, that didn't occur really until uh, the very early uh, 90s. Which okay. the, people seem to think that the mullets are exclusively in 80s. No. But if you, if you look at TVs and, TV and movies in the 70s, there were mullets oh. then. And if you look at it in the early 90s, there were definitely then. Um, there is a photo of me upon my graduation with an epic mullet um, from university. So uh, that will never see the light of day. Uh, in actual fact, I think it's in, the, in my parents' place. 550 kilometres away from me where it deserves to be.
1: Grunge phase, was it, Rob?
0: Uh, oh, they came later. They oh, came okay. later.
1: Now, we should read this editorial uh, by Gary, who uh, at the time was living at number 64, Belmont Crescent Maidenhead in Berkshire. Uh, Berkshire. Berkshire. That's where all the Berks live. So Gary says, um, Doctor Who has survived almost 19 years and during the time has seen five different actors play the role on television, plus two more, one in the films and one on stage. This is obviously before Big Finish got their hands on it. Uh, Thus, one of the aims of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society is surely to appreciate Doctor Who as a program, not just the current star, but the program's history, and certainly in the case of this newsletter, the program's future. And it seems a terrible shame that because a member doesn't approve of the current doctor and the direction of the series, uh, that the member decides to leave a society won't go as conventions, or conventions with a T, S at the end, etc., the Duas does not have any bias towards a particular actor, season, producer, oh, this is funny, as can uh, be witnessed at our cons and other gatherings, with the exceptions of interface, the idea of which is based around a particular doctor. To the member who recently wrote to a member of the exec who gave his her reasons for wanting to leave, I say, think again. The society is here for the past, present and future. Just think how it would have been if all the anti-baker members had given up on the society. This is obviously Tom. Going by the wait till get to the next <laughs> uh, Going by the volume of mail that goes to uh, TARDIS on that subject, we have had a very small membership since seventy-seven and seventy-nine. I have little doubt that a society of sorts will be in the existence even if the programme ended. So it all proves that the society doesn't just live for the day. All eras of the programme can and are appreciated by us. The aforementioned member, I say, remember there is an awful lot more to the society in parts or as a whole than just the current doctor slash season, etc. Till next month, best wishes,
0: Gary. Just to be serious for a moment, it's interesting that Gary brought that up and devoted, you know, a quarter of his front page to it. Um, I just wonder if there were grumblings. Uh, amongst the membership base about the current then current approach to the show, and he was hoping to, you know, knock that on the head maybe. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Or Maybe he just took up uh, the cause of the executive, uh, member of the executive who actually received that correspondence who may have been offended by the way uh, the argument was presented. But um, it's interesting that he, he, he sort of slapped down that approach. Yeah, by
1: that one member who uh, just walked out and said, Skinny ass and gang hand. Yeah. But interesting, isn't it? Uh, Doctor Who fans grumbling? Wow. Unheard this is of. the paper equivalent of Twitter, I think.
0: Well, yes, yeah, very much so.
1: And when I was pulling these articles out, they did have a musky smell, I must admit.
0: Oh uh, please.
1: Yes, from the um from the uh, the age of the of the parchment. Let's have a quick season poll. I love of, a good poll, uh, Mark. I love, a, love good a good poll. poll. Yes. Right. So let's do a bit of poll dancing here. This is the mm. uh, season poll for uh, Season 19. Quickly whiz through the results. Let's start for the bottom, shall we? Ooh. So number seven with 1,842 points for To Doomsday, Rob. The
0: actual the namesake of this show is just been... Was pilloried by the fans. It garnered, uh, if I can read that correctly, about ten point one percent of the total vote.
1: Yes, quite low, a bit disappointing. Uh, even more disappointing is number six. It's Kinder with uh, two thousand and sixty-two votes.
0: Yes, well, actually, not votes but points. So they oh, must points, have. Points. Uh, sorry, I'm yeah. assuming they're, um, they're they're allocating. You know, the the the, the top score, the, the the best story gets the most points and all that sort of thing. But i was just going to say Kinder got uh, Mark eleven point four percent of the vote, and it's it's interesting that uh, a story which I think. Probably had the most original approach to a, you know, a Doctor Who story for many a year mm. uh, was so low. You could sort of understand Ford of Doomsday. It's not a particularly exciting plot. It, it tries, I think, to educate more than it does to entertain yeah. in some parts. Yeah. Um, but Kinder really, I think, does challenge uh, the audience like the show hasn't done for you know quite a while. Uh, and it gets it gets low. I, I think that indicates to me anyway that the the voters, those who bothered to vote are traditionalists.
1: Yeah, they didn't like uh what is the call? An oddball story. That's what JNT used to call these uh, stories towards the end of his reign. Oddball.
0: But these are the ones that linger longer in the in the in the in the uh, in the in the memory. I mean, they've got striking visuals, they've got striking story ideas, and especially with Kinder, they have a number of striking performances. So what what is what actually actually sticks the knife in even more is that Time Flight comes in at five, Mark, with 2,287 points and 12.6% of the vote. Madness. Madness. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said about Time Flight, other than it's the end of the season, the money has clearly run out. Peter <laughs> Davison has decided, I'm out, <laughs>
1: You can see him drafting his resignation like on under policy. As they're lining
0: rock. up the CSO for that scene.
1: Hold here, Plasmatron. It's a the emotions of the heavy heart that I must uh, put I'm my out. notice in. So number four, with a uh, 2,467 points, or 13.6 of the uh, of the result. It's like preferential voting over here, isn't it? Your preferences go crazy stuff. Castrovalva.
0: Yes. Uh, do we think that's probably about right?
1: I think it should be a little bit higher Ooh. Even that the next story, Rob, gird your loins, sir. Mm.
0: Uh, number
1: three in the uh, season nineteen survey results by Duas fans is Black Orchid, wow. with two thousand five hundred and fifty-two points, or fourteen point one. It looks like a five or five. Think uh, five there. Yeah, they voted uh, Black Orchid over Kasthavam. Uh,
0: look again. It's a it's a traditionalist sort of story. First two part of the era, isn't it? Yeah, maybe they were just grateful that it sort of came and went very quickly in the one week. Because they were broadcasting on Mondays and Wednesdays, is that right, or I think it was, yes.
1: It was twice a week. Yeah, twice a Mm. week. So basically, instead of lasting six months, it lasted three months.
0: Yeah, look, I don't know. That's ridiculous. As we've discovered over the last few years, the show needs to be in the audience's face year in, year out for an extended period of time. And if you're doing it... Look, I understand why the BBC wanted to do it. Uh, they could sort of, you know, garner more, more, more viewers. But anyway, now Mark coming in at number two is uh, Young Eric soward's I believe. First script, the Visitation. Now that yes. garnered two thousand eight hundred eighty-seven points, but more importantly, fifteen point nine five percent of the votes. So a clear second place there for the Visitation. I've got a soft spot for it.
1: It's um, it's okay. It's, it's workmanlike, isn't it? Really, it's mm. a, it's, a, it's. I don't think it's number yeah.
0: two, but I think it's probably a, a solid no. three.
1: No, I think black orchids certainly number twos, but I reckon it'll be number, would be number three at least.
0: And Mark, with a drum roll, because I'm hopefully you've got a drum kit. Who is or what is process of elimination? We all know what is number one.
1: Pain on and company.
0: <laughs> so Earth Shock, Mark. Earthshock, yeah, clear winner. Clear winner clear winner. With uh well, 4,037 points, but 223 percent of the vote it's streets ahead. Length of the Straight, Earthshock. a classic story, easily number one uh, of the year of the season. Mark, any thoughts on Earthshock that hasn't already been said by no, fandom?
1: It's still excellent. It's, I remember, uh, I remember
0: getting the DVD and slotting in, just getting that little shiver of excitement. Uh, yeah, it's just a great story, isn't it?
1: It is a great story, is it? And let's just let's just read out the closing sentence here. Ooh. So, uh, my thanks to every single one of you who voted. Pat yourselves on the back. I have. Congratulations to the production office for a superb season, to Janet Fielding for becoming a companion probably more popular than Liz Sladen was, slash is, to Peter Davison for simply being so good, and most importantly, to Eric Sayward for carrying off first and second place. Revel in that, Eric. Revel then, because it's not going to get much better after that, buddy.
0: <laughs> He's hit a peak. I think the, 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 peak, the peak moment was, I think, yeah. Uh becoming a script editor in terms of his career.
1: Mm. It's, it's, it's interesting. He
0: came out of nowhere and then just the, the, the method, the way he chose to leave the production team, I think decided that his, his fate in television ever after, he just, he just basically vanished, didn't he, mate?
1: It's just the best resignation slash career suicide ever in televisual history, to be honest with you. It, Silly.
0: Just over personality clashes, you know, really. And then to take it to the, the that level of publicity, I yeah, I, clearly he was angry about how he was treated and perhaps how the you know J and T was treating the show. Mm. But I, what I would do in a similar situation, I'm not entirely sure. But there must have been you know to quote uh, another way, uh, surely to to, to 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 do it and still get your point across.
1: I don't think Eric's even done a big finish, has he? Uh, no. I mean,
0: he's turned up at you know conventions and stuff like that, and he's he's on um you know I think he's on the Blu-rays, Mark, isn't he, at some point? Yeah, and he's so, uh, he,
1: yeah, he is a bit uh, quantity on the Blu-rays. Um, yeah, mm.
0: but it, it's 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 I feel it's a sort of a big what if what what if uh, Sayward had kept, bit his tongue uh, and just moved on to the next phase of his TV writing career, who knows where it might yeah, have led? But exactly. Anyway, we'll never know. Now we'll never know.
1: Now, let's have a quick whiz through uh, the Target books that were released in 1982, Rob. So, wow. yes. Yeah, so, so let's have a look at January. So in January was uh, Doctor Who and the State of Decay. Mm-hmm. There was none of this Doctor Who-State of Decay yet by Terence Dix. April was Doctor Who and Warrior's Gate mm-hmm. uh, by John Lidecker, which, of course, we know that was uh, Stephen Gallagher. Uh, May was Doctor Who and the Keeper of Tarkin by uh, Uncle Terry again. July was Doctor Who and the Leisure Hive by David Fisher. August was Doctor Who and the Visitation by Eric Sayward. September was Full Circle. There's no Doctor Who and the Full Circle there. Uh, By Andrew Smith. October was Logopolis by Christopher H. Bidmead. And uh, November was Doctor Who and the Sunmakers by Terence Dix. And in December, uh, Ready for the Christmas Market was the second Doctor Who quiz book by Nigel Robinson. I think and, I thought that. Yeah, I think I got number one, number two, and number three as well. And they also did some reissues here of Doctor Who and the Crusaders, Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion, Doctor Who and the Day of the Daleks, Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars and Doctor Who and the Planet of Evil and all those covers. Apart from the visitation, were uh, drawn by Mr. Andrew Skelter who was uh, definitely on the rise during the, the rise, early eighties. Yes. So, uh, and yeah. as the
0: notes at the bottom of this uh, list indicate, that um, they're beginning to commission the actual writers. Mm. Uh, so you can see that with Full Circle and Lagopolis. So, and then of course, uh, the ugly, terrible photographic covers uh, began. I think to rear their heads because what was what does it say here? They couldn't a uh, deal or an agreement to use. Uh, Peter Davison's likeness for the cover art uh, in terms of, you know, illus- an illustration couldn't be reached. So they reverted to using those terrible photographic covers. I, mean, I think I remember the Ark of Infinity is, is a oh, classic example local. of, of just someone just vomiting onto the... It's terrible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's and, and Turbinus and has got Davison, looks like he's got constipation, pulling it, you know, pushing against the, uh, that, that bloody handle. I know, yeah. it's was in the Target book, the, the original draft uh, artwork for um, a Visitation... And I think it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's certainly better than what Chris Achillios did later on with the new, latest reprint of it. So, yeah. um, rest in peace, Chris Achillios. Yes, was one, look, he's done wonderful work, but I think those last sort of uh, covers he did weren't particularly great. I'll be honest with you. Mm. But mm. Um, the initial draft of the artwork they did for um, visitation, I think, was perfectly fine. So I don't know why Davidson's agent maybe wanted more cashola. Maybe they just used that uh, as a bargaining chip to. Uh, who knows, Rob? Who knows? But Who knows? Um, let's take a bit of a, a respite from Doctor Who for a second. Please. And let's have a look at the films that released in 1982, shall we? We shall. Not quite as good
0: as the celebrated 19, uh, year 1984, but uh, there's, a, there's a clutch of uh, good stories here. So the first movie is Porky's. There was a slew of these... Uh, Risque movies are coming out in the late seventies, early eighties, and there's Porky's.
1: Have you seen Porky's, mate? I, I did, yes.
0: Yeah, a few of my friends had that on VHS. A lot of these, I I, yeah, a lot of these I saw on VHS. Hmm. Um, so uh, then there's the pirate movie. Uh, is that the one done in the UK? No, that's is, the
1: one with, with is Chris, that like Christopher Atkins and is that the one with Brooke Shields in it and Christopher Atkins? Or oh, like? Okay, I don't know. No, no, it's, I like, never it's, some, it. it's some musical comedy
0: thingy doody. Oh, okay. Yeah, no no doubt. Now, First Blood, which is the first Rambo movie, uh, a good movie. Uh, The book is actually way, way better. Uh, David David Morrell is a great writer. Uh, If anyone actually likes reading and uh, likes uh, good thrillers, uh, pick up a copy of his book, Testament, which will leave you shook, as the youngsters say. Uh, The next one is Annie. I don't like that movie. I don't like musicals. Awful. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. John Milius is Conan the Barbarian with Arnie. Uh, Monkey Grip uh, is it an Australian movie? It was. Yeah, I think
1: it had Vince Colosimo in
0: it. Oh, young Vince and, Colosimo. Or was
1: it, was it Michael Hutchins in it too?
0: Oh, don't know. Don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah, but a, uh, uh, a little movie uh, with no influence whatsoever. A Blade Runner came out. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Uh, the, the Dark Crystal. Uh, the Forty-eight dark hours. Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it is a good. I remember reading the novelization. Uh, it was. It really intrigued me. Uh, 48 Hours, which I think has got Eddie Murphy yes.
1: and uh is it Nick Dolte in it? Yeah uh,
0: yes, it is. Yes, yes. Mm. And then Tootsie didn't like that at all. Rocky no. Three. Yeah. Uh which is okay.
1: Tron, which was uh sort of the very first rudimentary computer graphics, still a pretty good film. Uh, I saw a couple of years ago back-to-back with the uh, Tron legacy. I quite enjoyed both those films, actually. Uh, Poltergeist scared the crap out of me. Fantastic film. I Uh,
0: remember watching it uh, on VHS at a cousin's place and my my grandmother was there. And that scene where the, the, the character imagines pulling his face apart. Oh, yes. This is my grandmother. She would have been in their 70s then, a little old Italian lady. She's just sitting there watching it, you know, didn't react at all.
1: The thing, second
0: uh, best horror movie ever made. Was that no. Kurt Russell in it? Yes. No, it's yeah. it's, um, it's, it's utterly fantastic. Absolutely. It's John
1: fantastic. Carpenter,
0: isn't it? Uh, directed by John Carpenter. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sort of spinoff of The Thing from Another, not a spinoff, but I was sort mm. of inspired by The Thing from Another World from the 50s, I think. Uh, I it actually it came out just at the same time as E.T. Which is also on your list, Mark. And it
1: is. It's, that's the big one, isn't it? That's the yes. The, the it's juggernaut. not, as
0: big, but not as good as the thing,
1: in my humble no, opinion. No, and not as not as much death in E2, Unfortunately. <laughs> um, speaking of death, death wish, death wish two with Charlie Bronson. What can you say? It was Golan Globus's pump pumping that stuff out. <laughs> um, yeah, not as bad as Death Wish Three, which is yeah abominable. Yeah. Star Trek Two, which is not abom- abominable. That's a, it's a, it's one of the best Star Trek films, in my opinion. Great film, great film. Mm. Nicholas Meyer, who then returned to Star Trek VI. Uh, Gandhi. Yes, the uh, the movie with Ben Kingsley.
0: Oh, the man from Snowy River, Mark.
1: Yes. Singrid Thornton and um, was it Tom Berlinson?
0: Let's go with... I think that's right, yes. Yeah. yeah I, I saw that at a cinema in country Victoria. It did nothing for me. I didn't like it at all. Oh,
1: really? We remember buying a copy from Alan and granddad on the... Had to get a copy on Beta because they only had a beta machine. So I remember we bought that for them and sent it back over there because um, my mom and dad obviously liked it. The music was quite nice. Okay. Da, 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 da. Anyway, next one is uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Yes. And, uh, of course, the, the, the biggest film, apart from E.T., was Grease 2. Um, the, the lesser Grease. <laughs> it's the dirty Grease. <laughs> it's the one that doesn't get talked about. And there's a reason it,
0: for that. Is it Michelle Pfeiffer's first
1: um I think so starring I think so, role? I think so, because Livy said there's no way I'm doing this rubbish no, and it I'm was out. absolute crap.
0: Did you do Xanadu instead or did Zanidu, was Xanadu before Greece? Xanadu
1: was before this. Oh, uh, it was okay. nice. that's a crap film, but the music's really good.
0: Turn up the volume on the radio whenever um Zanidu comes on. Yes,
1: yeah, a bit of Jeff Lynne there. But uh mm. yes, yeah, so that was yeah, that's Jeff Lynne, ELO. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep. Oh yeah, it does have that early vibe. Yeah, most okay. of the
1: music was done um, was written by Jeff Lynne for that film. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that go. was the movies in eighty two, and I think we can, if we sort of went through that list, I think we can tick off most of them we've seen uh, back yes. in the day on VHS on, for me. Most on, of the VHS.
0: Actually, we when we had when my parents were running the motel, they uh, put through a VHS system for. Ooh the viewing pleasure of the rooms but the way it was worked i think this had to do with copyright reasons i'm not quite sure there was one video machine which was in the office mm. and it was all parked through to the room so you selected a particular channel um at a particular time and uh, you would um you could watch what the the owners had actually hired from the uh, video store up the road mm. And I- <laughs> So it, it, you, you couldn't you couldn't choose, you know, what you watched. And I think, you know, it went on at 8 o'clock or something like that. I remember I went up to the video store and hired uh, the Martian Chronicles for some goddamn reason. <laughs> A real crowd pleaser. A real crowd pleaser. But that's uh, yeah. what, that's what uh, motel uh, business was like back in the early 80s. I was going to say, in
1: the early 80s, Rob, you probably drove business down with your video choices. You needed <laughs> more grease too and less Martian Chronicles.
0: Leaving that all aside, uh, we move on to August. Two very stark headlines on the front page of the Celestial Toy Room. Uh, I'll begin with the first one, which screams basically vandals number two. Now, there was clearly an earlier instance of this vandalism that Gary is about to talk about. Uh, but we'll just jump into vandals two. Now, Gary goes, I am sure many of you can remember one of Gordon's early Celestial Toy Room issues for last year, which bore the sad headline of vandals and told how the collection of Radio Times owned by the Westminster City Library had been savagely massacred by some idiot who cut out all the Doctor Who cuttings and photos. It is unfortunate, sad and sickening, to have the report that so-called fans have been at work again, this time at both Longleat and Blackpool. Needless to say, it is the two exhibitions I'm talking about, and these have both had models, photos and even identity placards stolen. Let us hope that before long, these items are recovered or returned by the guilty party. Otherwise, the cost of replacing them will up the admittance costs quite substantially. If you come across anyone who seems to own such items, don't hesitate to contact the exhibitions or the BBC. You can imagine someone going all vag- vigilante on them, Mark. Bronson, Deathwish style.
1: <laughs> yeah, I reckon it was probably half the dwassie pinched it on their uh, vacations down there, their day out trips. Off they go with their little anoraks and their, their packed lunch. Mm. And uh, they're also gathering around there. So just hold off for a second. I'm going to grab the. Uh, the quick model of the Juggernaut spaceship, and uh, off they go. They they smuggle it out, I reckon. Allegedly.
0: Now the next headline, Mark. I'll let you now, have the honour. No, Rob.
1: No, I think you made know, it your favourite subject.
0: You also enjoy this subject, Mark. But I yes. know. Yes, I'm not as
1: obsessed.
0: <laughs> it actually reads episode found. Rumour has it that yet another old and lost episode of Doctor Who has been uncovered and returned to the Beeb. I believe that the episode in question is the sixth and final instalment of Dennis Spooner's 64 historical tale, The Reign of Terror. After the finding of the Eddie episode earlier, and now this, is it too much to hope that before long we may well see a representative episode from every story? Short answer, Gary, is no. Was it around this time that Paul Venetis is located... The two episodes of Reign of Terror? Or is this an early call? Uh,
1: I think it might have been a little bit later. He, he juttered that letter off and mm. then Ian sent the talics off and they sort of converged at the same time. So one is saying I found it and the other one's saying he found it. So, yes. um, you know, it's a bit of a pissing competition really. But a few things sort of bubbling along the surface. And- That's right. Well, this falls probably then into a
0: rumour more than an actual find. At this point, as you say, in this sort of first half of the 80s, there seemed to be quite a number of at least individual episodes turning up, and quite frequently it seemed.
1: Yeah, because I suppose the date of transmission to the current day when they were found was a lot less as opposed to 50-plus years where it is now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's yeah. sort of dwindling, and the sad fact is there might be some stuff out there just sitting on a shelf just going to uh, vinegar at the moment. We just don't yeah. know. I wish it was an episode of Body Marco Polo. though. God, got the run a boring.
0: <laughs> All right, Mark. Now, the next headline uh, is Humphrey Searle. It is sad, but a precedent seems to have been set now. And this is the third issue in a row. I've had to report the death of an ex-Doctor Who worker. Worker. Not, you know, <laughs> worker. Jeez, how classist. Yeah, exactly. How classist. Now, Gary goes on to say, uh, in in best tabloid fashion, I don't have any details. But I do know that during May, Humphrey Searle, the gentleman who supplied the incidental music for the 1965 story The Myth Makers, died. You may remember that The Myth Makers was the first story by Donald Cotton and introduced John Wiles as the producer as well as disposing of Vicky. But Cotton's story's main claim to fame was that it was the first of pure farce, and thus Searle's music exemplified this.
1: Hmm. No, the Romans would be pure farce, wouldn't it, in some cases?
0: Gary was a bad fan.
1: Bad yeah. fan, Gary. Surely they would have had all the stuff on pirate video by then. But, yeah, I thought, I thought the Romans is more fast than uh, the yes. mythmakers. I mean, the mythmakers is a little bit tragic at the end, isn't it, really? Yeah, well, three it's, episodes
0: um, of, you know, humour slash fast and then bring out the large knives. That's <laughs> bring all I Bring out the
1: knives say. and bring <laughs> out that bloody wooden horse. But uh, yes. speaking of wooden horse and uh, all things like that, yeah. uh, Panto is the next uh, news item, Rob. As previously reported, the pantomime is to be written by and directed by... On Nathan Turner, whilst Lovett Victor is the presenter. Okay. Amy Roberts designs the costumes and Tony Burroughs is the designer. Whilst the role of Cinderella has yet to be cast, Sandra Dickinson is confirmed as a fairy godmother. peter davidson is the hero. Buttons, as expected, his enemy in the panto is none other than Tony Ainley as the immortal Baron Hardup. Party rates are available. But tickets are selling like hotcakes, so book early. The typing on this is actually pretty bad. It looks mm. like farty rates. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Janet Fielding will be appearing at the Consort Theatre uh, Ride during the summer in a stage version of Some Mothers Do Adam before getting married to Daily Mirror journalist Nick Davies in September. Also busy has been Matt Waterhouse playing Prince Casper in The Luck Child at the Crucible and Chef, when they start calling themselves Matt? Is that because they're running out of space? I think it's because they're here?
0: running out of space on yeah. that sentence.
1: Here's an important announcement here, Robin. I really want you to take note of this. I can't just A reminder that to contact any member of the executive, you should write in closing a stamped address envelope and not phone to the address given in the information sheet. We have been asked by John Nathan-Turner to point out that any contact from fans should be made by the production office do not phone him on his phone number, as <laughs> he would like some private life. Although, <laughs> if you are available for bunga-bunga parties, please feel free to give a call. I have received a letter from John Hopkins, who very kindly makes the following offer. I shall be driving up to Birmingham on the Friday before the Panopticon this year. and returning on the Sunday evening. I have places for three passengers from the London area who would help share the petrol costs. If anybody wants to take up this offer, then please drop a line with a stamp address envelope to John. At seven, Denver Gardens, Leon C., Essex. So basically, they are saying one mention don't ring people up if printing the home addresses, but yet they're giving people ammunition to print the addresses out and they ring them up anyway. That's what happened to me. Sonic Screwdriver, because he used to print home addresses. And I started getting phone calls from people saying, Have you got this story? And I'd say yes and hang up.
0: <laughs> Was it a requirement if you were writing to a publication, you, you had to allow your uh, address to be published? I, I mean, I know certainly in the letters columns, they did that. Uh, latest pages of the major metropolitan newspapers, but mm, interesting, interesting. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm a bit worried about you know uh, our friend. What was his name? Uh, what was John. his name? Mark? John. Uh, John being quite willing to take three people. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering what was in the boot. Perhaps <laughs> an axe and maybe a shovel. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm just. I just. I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't know. I'm not making any allegations. I'm not saying anything. But you know, uh, interesting.
1: If anybody <laughs> went in the car with John Hopkins, please let us know that you're alive. Petra Costa, back then, would have been probably the same price as what they are now. Yeah, not great. But let us know if you're still alive and God's let us still, know. Yeah, all made it home safely. Home. <laughs> yes,
0: we roll into September, Mark, which is in Australia, at least, and especially the Eastern States. Uh, AFL football uh, final season, or VFL, as it was back then. And, of course, we all know that Carlton... Uh, won uh, the back-to-back that year, Mark. They won in 81. They won in 79 as well. Uh, and your beloved uh, Richmond went down hard, didn't yes. they, against Carlton?
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, and and speaking of going down hard, I guess you sang the national anthem that year, Rob. In
0: 1982 at the football? Yeah. Oh, did we import someone because we had a cultural cringe?
1: It was Rolf Harris.
0: Rolf Harris. So we technically did import him back, I suppose. Yeah.
1: They could never show that uh, replay of that VFL game. And, of course, there was also that streaker Remember the streaker running across the field and
0: there's a Bruce... uh,
1: Bruce Duhl. Bruce Duhl got a bit uh, narky at it, didn't
0: he? All right, Mark. So uh, two two major uh, headlines Mm. uh, uh, here in the editorial. Let's uh, whiz through them. I'll go with the first one. The Brig is back. And that can only be good news to lovers of the Pertwee slash unit era of the program. Attendees to Panopticon, of course, know this and the rest of this month's news. But for those of you who weren't around, then the news is as follows. Story number three, from now on, all stories are made in transmission order. Mordred Undead by Peter Grimwade features, apart from a Valentine Dial as the Black Guardian. Nicholas Courtney making his long-hoped-for return to the character of the Brigadier Alastair Gordon lethbridge stewart The Brig, however, will not be leading UNIT into action, but has in fact retired, what, and is now a school teacher. No details were given away by Nick at Panopticon except to say something along the lines of, we're not to be too surprised if we think we're seeing double. Intriguing. Also in Mordron Undead is top actor David Collings, seen before in Doctor Who as Voris, leader of the Guardians in Revenge of the Cybermen, and as the rather touched pool in the Boucher classic Robots of Death. David plays Mordran, as in, I guess, undead. Now, in the novelization, Mark, uh, I think I have a little note that said that Mordran is Welsh for undead, is that right? yes it is
1: actually
0: yes there's a mention here that the sun newspaper has said the daleks will be returning uh jnt of course uh, denies this but we all know what they were intentional what what their intention was uh, one story next season will also see the departure of sarah sutton as nissa more news on that in the future and as to whether she'll be replaced well all jnt would say was for everyone to keep watching the national press over the next month. He's going to leak it to a favourite journalist, no doubt, Mark. <laughs> Finally, on next season, it is now confirmed that the fourth story is by Warriors Gate author Steve Gallagher and is entitled Terminus. A lurid title if ever I saw one, and with Mary Ridge directing, who knows what'll happen? Last time she got hold of an SF program, she bumped off all the leading characters. That's a reference to Black 7, isn't it, Mark?
1: Yeah, did she direct blank, did she?
0: Anyone who was actually prepared and done some research would have uh, looked it up. We didn't Dave do Kitchen's that.
1: probably uh, jumping up and down now <clears throat> going, yes, she did, or "Yes, no, she didn't. So, Dave, let us know. Please. Now, the next one, Rob, is uh, five doctors, question mark. Ooh. If you're wondering why the front page of this list or toy room is a lot different to a normal one and why this is page two, allow me to explain. 1983. We'll see the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who on British television. And as with the 10th anniversary, good old Auntie Bebe is marking the occasion in three ways, all connected with all five doctors. First off is a 90-minute story, a one-off, which, and if we're lucky, may bring together all five doctors. Absolutely nothing is confirmed yet, so don't get right into JNT or anyone for this info. There isn't any. Or just ring J&T at home. You see see do that. Yeah, Pounder's exactly. Publicly. only thing I can reveal is that the third doctor, John Pertwee, will definitely, it's spelled it incorrectly, appear in it as the third doctor. Let's hope that both Pat and Tom, if asked, agree and that some kind of link with William Hartnell's era can be set up. As a result of this rather important news, if you're also hoping that something like the Radio Times special that marked the occasion, don't raise your hopes up high. In the meantime, though, the BBC are planning a two-day Doctor Who convention for spring next year, and they are hoping for all the surviving doctors to be there. It might be nice if Troughton goes, because maybe it will convince him that hours are worth coming to, Um, as well as showing various episodes from the past series. The BBC are hoping that around 10,000 people from all over the world will go, something akin to the US con a couple of years back. It's all going to be happening in Longleat, and no doubt more details will come away from a variety of sources. Lastly, the celebrations will be rounded off hopefully as uh, near as 23 11 83 as scheduled will allow. JNT has confirmed that there will be a special documentary program as well. Uh, no details are available as yet. It seems to be very much in the embryonic planning stage. Interesting that obviously The Five Doctors is getting underway. Bit of a kick there to Pat Trout and not turning up to their events, but uh, a celebratory documentary program. Some of this uh,
0: information does, I think, from memory, Mark, mirrors what uh, Richard Molesworth, his latest book, uh, does discuss about this particular point in time for the show. I mean, there's the talk about the documentary. I think JNT was trying to... Get someone from the us from one of the pbs stations over to do some sort of other work you know on the show or some sort of documentary is that right from memory
1: do you know what though? it's a shame they didn't do a making of the five doctors or something like that you know what yeah. i mean it would have been wonderful i mean but then again they didn't do a bloody making of the day of the doctor did they
0: no missed opportunity ridiculous. there now mark sad sad news uh in the september issue Another headline marked Vandals 3. The above title is recurring with alarming frequency. Members Daniel Rebellato and Matthew Morgenstern have both written to me saying that the Central Westminster Reference Library has been attacked again by presumably the same person who did the original massacre way back when. The cuttings from the radio times between the Time Warrior through to the Brain of Morbius have now been cut out and stolen. Matthew tells us that the library has suggested that if the cuttings were anonymously returned, then they would be returned to their rightful places within the collection with the aid of a librarian's patience, time, and tape. They are as desperate to have them back as the, all the real Doctor Who fans are. By real fans, I mean the straight-in-the-head sort that don't go around whipping cuttings out of other people's radio times.
1: Mm. What's going on with these people, you know, getting scissors out? I mean, surely the library, no offence, it's happened once. They should be watching this stuff like a hawk. I'd be getting CCTV in there, security (laughs) guards in there, dressed like unit soldiers. Come on.
0: Now, there's another clip here. This is a clip from a newspaper, Mark. Time Lord's Guardian on show. Doctor Who television scriptwriter Terence Dix will lead a carnival procession through Great Horton and Lidget Green, Bradford next month. The procession will mark the opening of a spectacular summer carnival in the grounds of Grange Upper School. The carnival, to be held on July 10, has been organized to raise funds for future outdoor activities for the school's 1,270 pupils. I can't, there's there's two words here that don't make sense in my head, Mark. There's the carnival. The UK doesn't have carnivals, mate. It's it's, it's, not, it's just wrong. It, that's, no, that's Rio not, de no. Janeiro's thing. No, 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 it's <laughs> wrong. And the fact that he mentions the word summer, uh, no, the, the Brit, You see on Twitter people complaining about the temperature being twenty seven degrees. Come to Australia, okay, and see what summer's really like in a, oh, in a country funny. that actually has a summer.
1: It's a, it <laughs> is funny at nineteen degrees, they will take their t-shirts off. They're all lying on the ground, and I'm sort of stepping over bodies <laughs> and put them up when I'm over there in summer, just chortling away. Mm. But uh, Uncle Terence would lead a carnival procession. That he should have had a bloody night with that. Like, that's the least they could have done
0: I mean, how how hard up were they for celebrities That they had to go get a, you know, relatively unknown TV script To headline the act
1: But then again, a couple of months later They got a relatively unknown actor to open up a couple of fates Whose name was Colin Baker On behalf of John Ethan Turner so, Wow, uh, wow. You know, the fix was in
0: already, Mark The fix was, was in.
1: in Absolutely right And uh, speaking of fix Tarjay, as you may remember, published later this month is Andrew Smith's Full Circle novelization. At the same time, Targa are releasing two Doctor Who gift sets, each with four books in a coloured Boxes have the design of the five faces from the uh, programme guides. set one with a white logo, contains four Terence Dix books, Invisible Enemy, Unearthly Child, Death the Daleks and Planet of the Daleks. Set two, yellow logo, contains a variety of authors, the books being Warrior's Gate, Leisure Hive, Full Circle and The Visitation. Both sets sell at the astronomical price of £5.25p. Thanks to member Ian Debery for that info. There's no uh, address free in there. At Panopticon, Terence Dix uh, revealed that hidden within the his attache case was the manuscript for Flanagan and McCulloch's Megalos, which he has just finished. And he has also reiterated his desire to finally complete the Dalek Chronicles, Power and Evil being top of his list. Peter Grimwode also informed us that early next year sees the publication of his own novel, Time Flight, and it's ought to be followed by Earthshock, although no one's quite sure who exactly is writing it. Rumours abound that Ian Marder may be coaxed back to do it. Yeah. Those Doctor Who gift sets it, are actually worth quite a bit of a pretty penny now, actually, in good condition. Okay.
0: Mm. I wonder how fans would have treated them when they got them home. Would they have put them on the shelf as is, or would they have cracked it open and uh, split the books up amongst their in chronological order?
1: Oh, look, you would have had some people just got them and just put them away for um, safekeeping. A rainy day, yes. the rainy day yes. but some people would have actually yeah, cracked them open, thrown the box out and just got the uh, the books. I do remember seeing those actually on discount in the mid-'80s at some bookshop near Victoria Market, actually, some of those gift sets. It's a shame I didn't buy some, actually. Well, I remember
0: a couple of years ago picking up uh, one of these sets. It may not have been this particular one from a secondhand bookshop in country Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just surprised that it survived so long in tax. Mm. Um, you know, it's 30 or almost 40 years uh, since it have been released.
1: Mm. Mm. Have you valued it recently on eBay?
0: I did sell it on eBay. I mean, you know, I think I paid $3 <laughs> for it. I got 20 bucks for it. That was good. There you for me. go. Money for
1: jam. But looking at uh, those sets for you, like if you look at the books contained within, mm. which of those books for you, the choice picks, as it were?
0: Oh. Well, I think I have to go with the second set. I think Warrior's Gate mm. on its own is a cracker. Mm. Uh, of a novelization. Uh, the first set uh, are Terence Dix, you know, extravaganza. And I don't think mid-period or late-period Terence Dix was particularly good. So I go no. with the second set, Mark. What about you? Oh,
1: I agree. I think the second set's much more varied. Do you know what? I, I need to listen to the uh, Target audio reading of Warrior's Gate because Stephen Gallagher actually found his original uh, manuscript of that before the guys at Target ripped it to shreds to fit the uh, page count oh. uh, that they uh, they did. So he, he put a lot of the material back. Got it That's somewhere. I'd like uh, for
0: a publication, I think, Mark, as a, yeah, as a, if- as a book.
1: Do you know what? They might do that. It's a very good idea because, um, I mean, they, they're just about to release, was it, two David Fisher novels. Rejigged, year, haven't they? Which have been rejigged based on what he, uh, he he did for the audiobook. So maybe they might go back and do a Warrior's Gate uh, The
0: campaign begins here, mate. October, Mark, it screams, Trouton's back. Yes. Further to last month's report about the 90-minute one-off special episode, more cast have been confirmed by the production office this month. Joining John Pert we will be current incarnation Peter Davison plus Janet Fielding. Also in the cast will be Anthony Annley and the second doctor, Patrick Troughton, making a most welcome return to the program. Troughton, of course, played the role for three years and whilst often called, quote, the Forgotten Doctor, unquote, actually has a massive following within the society. Possibly the most famous attribute to Troughton's era must be that of the monsters. All the top four, Dalek, Soberman, Ice Warriors and Yeti, cropped up more than once during his time. As yet, no writer for the production has been confirmed, but rumours are abounding that it may be someone more than slightly familiar with the program. Watch this space. Mm.
1: Mm. Yes, Trouton was the Forgotten Doctor. He was always called the Forgotten Doctor. No, he was always the, called the, the Forgotten Doctor, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. only because they had three episodes left in the archive.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's not entirely untrue, Mark either.
1: So <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody done a, a Doctor Who poll of all the actors. Number fourteen was Patrick Trouton, only because not much of his stuff existed. That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible a, and shocking. What is wrong with a great Doctor Who fan public? Unbelievable. And
0: Mark, uh, just a step. To the side at this point, the mention of Trout and obviously evokes discussions of missing episodes. I just want to uh, remind uh, listeners that the excellent uh, Missing Episodes podcast is coming back in early july in actual fact it would have relaunched i think by the time this uh, this episode of ours comes back it is a fantastic podcast marching through uh, examination of all the missing episodes missing stories of doctor who through the black and white era people behind it especially tim uh, burrows uh, has set up a youtube channel Uh, i'm sure if you know how to use google you can find it for yourselves but definitely it's relaunching it's one of the the top two or three uh, podcasts that i listen to doctor who related uh, and they've also got themselves a little YouTube channel, which um, like and subscribe, as they say, Mark, and uh, get some quality information about missing episodes of Doctor Who. My stamp of approval. Now, this uh, editorial by Gary is in the same spirit as his DWM editorial uh, about the cancellation of the Dark Dimension several, uh, a decade later, <laughs> where Gary goes off the reservation. He went off the reservation like you wouldn't believe in 1993. So back in 1982, he begins... Hands up, those of you confused over the big superb idea to repeat Operation Annihilate an admittedly little seen episode of Star Trek, instead of doing the honorable thing of squeezing the last two episodes of Genesis of the Daleks together, and thus providing a slightly more coherent story, instead of the more than dreadful rendition we got. 99% of you Mm, thought so, thus our beloved wise and rotundish coordinator posed this question to John Nathan Turner. It's all to do with the fact that there is no restriction on the showing of American repeats on the BBC as there is with home-produced shows, said John Nathan-Turner. Somehow I feel that John was as mystified and marxed as the rest of us.
1: Mm. That makes no sense.
0: Well, please because edify if, us, Mark.
1: Well, basically, if you have negotiated the rights for a Doctor Who story or any sort of you know, production, right, so I think what's happened is basically they said they've only got this number of slots, Instead of saying, for example, you know, choosing Destiny, or even um, maybe Death of Daleks instead of Curse of, Fe- Curse of Paldon, mm-hmm. uh, they said, let's just get the best Dalek story together, you know, a- ever made. Reduce it down from six episodes to two forty-five minute episodes. And from what I understand, was the guy who was editing it together was uh, on the source of it and got <laughs> so pissed that they had to be <laughs> he, got- he got carted away, and JNT had to come in and finish the edit off. Apparently, it's it, it's really bad. But I mean, that just makes no sense. Does
0: that edit actually exist? Is it on the
1: Blu-ray box set? You know what? I can't remember if it's on there.
0: Be interesting to see if it was.
1: Yeah, answer the back of a postcard, please. Actually, yes.
0: We roll into November, Mark. Uh, Remembrance Day month, and uh, well, Gary is on a. He's on a he's on a mission here. Um, one of the headlines is Vandals 4. Oh, these vandals are everywhere.
1: <laughs> he's running out of numbers on letter set.
0: It uh. seems we have no escape. This time, the victim area is that grand northwestern metropolis called Liverpool. The central library there, I understand, has had its radio time supply massacred by some over-eager fan. Where next, chaps. Where next. <laughs> <laughs>
1: very easy to spot a guy wearing an anorak clutching a pair of scissors.
0: <laughs> what they should have done is put a call out to society members to sit very closely to their local library with uh, you, know, uh, you know newspapers and magazines, and observe very closely to see whoever went in with an anorak and whoever came out with a bundle of clippings under their arm. But the, the call never went out, Mark. So what can I say? I
1: can't remember in the December if we actually get to vandals five, but I'm sure we'll find out in a second. <laughs> but uh, let's deal with. Uh, This section here, it says, the, and a rather large space, return in set there. So I guess it's only logical. Well, there's a black guardian. The white can't be far behind. Thus, it transpires that whilst Valentine Dollar recreates the former for Mordred Undead, two stories later, Cyril Luckham returns to Doctor Who as the white guardian in story number five next season, entitled Enlightenment. It is penned by newcomer Barbara Clegg. The first solo lady... Writer in Doctor Who history 6H is directed by another lady Fiona Cumming Making a second claim To a directing credit next season Uh, The first being Chris Bailey's Snake Dance And from a new writer to a new director Tony Virgo makes his Doctor Who debut Helming the two-part historical story The King's Demons
0: Oh dear
1: Writer for (laughs) 6J is Terence Dudley Who should have retired years ago And any more that I cannot tell you as this issue of Celestial Toy Room went to the press, no guest cast have been announced because they don't want to be in it. No more news as yet for the two specials for next year, the documentary or the 90-minute story. It Davison, Aimee, Troutman and Pertwee. However, I can now confirm that the season will start next January, presumably when Angels finishes its current run. And whilst it's definitely the to be bi-weekly again, sounds like it's a kind of diseased bi-weekly. No actual days have been... Confirmed, see, it's interesting how they're saying Davidson's in there, Ainley, Trout, and But the obvious candidate, is, mm. um, the is, great white whale, Mark. Yes, uh, ah, uh, oh, oh, missing,
0: <laughs> currently on a punt, uh, sailing through Cambridge, I think, Mark.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good. So, yes, uh, this documentary seems to be going on, uh, going on leaps and bounds, mate.
0: Yes, it's uh, all steam ahead, it appears not the uh, other article on the front page is uh, titled who's this and if you tilt your head to the left you can read it properly the young gentleman on the left that's a photo they're referring to with half of sarah sutton's arm around his neck is none other than mark strickson the 21 year old actor who has taken this's place on board the tardis for the 20th season so mark plays turlo who starts off trying to kill the doctor as an agent for the black guardian in modern undead spoilers mark Strixon, the son of a musician, was born in that most actorish of places, Stratford-on-Avon. He trained at RADA and has done a good deal of fringe theatre work as an actor, musician, writer, and composer. His TV credits include Granada's Celebration and Strangers. For the Beeb, and no doubt where j and spotted him, he has appeared in Angels. He reads music fluently and plays French horn, piano recorder, and like Peter Davison, plays the guitar.
1: I didn't know, the Davo, I
0: didn't know Davison played the guitar.
1: Yeah, he did, um, he did the theme song for Button Moon. Yeah, after Button Moon, you Mr. Spoon. Button moon, Button Moon, Button Moon. Did he? Yeah. yeah.
0: How little yeah. I know about this show. So a rather trained actor who, who is a bit of a polymath uh, is coming in to play an
1: actor, a, ca- a character in Doctor Who? Maybe they did. Brought him to play the guitar and serenade <laughs> the the Black Guardian. Before we get to December '82. Should we go for the top selling singles in Australia of that year?
0: Now, Mark, as you've indicated, we're going to, as we did with movies and TV, for 1982, we're going to do the top twenty five uh, singles for 1982 in Australia. Let's whiz through them from back to front, mate. Go.
1: Okay, so number 25 is You Should Hear How She Talks About You by Melissa Manchester.
0: Never heard of her. Down Under by no. Men at Work.
1: God, I over that song. Young Turks by Rod Stewart. Probably talking about his next wife.
0: <laughs> the Other Woman by Ray Parker Jr.
1: Didn't he do <laughs> he Ghostbusters? He did, yes. Oh. There's a documentary on Ray Parker Jr. actually has come out. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Waiting for a Girl Like You by a Foreigner.
0: That's not a bad little song, actually. Yeah. Now, Ebony and Ivory uh, with uh, Paul oh. McCartney and Stevie Wonder leaves me feeling... A
1: turd of a song. Yeah. Just a mm. turd. Uh, this, uh, the next song's about me and you, Rob. It's called Shy Boy, Bob. Shy Boy. Adorama.
0: Yes, and number 18 is Six Months in a Leaky Boat uh, by Split Ends, the forerunner of Crowded House.
1: Yes, and got banned in the UK because the Falklands War was going on about and they oh. thought it was about uh, a frigate's going to get sunk.
0: People complain about snowflakes in the 21st century, mate. Honestly, the Thatcher government, you know, just a, a lot of melting moments there. What's going on?
1: <laughs> Speaking of melting moments, our lips are sealed by the Go-Go's. That's
0: a little jaunty song. Uh, and then number 16 is Hurt So Good by John Cougar.
1: Awful. Mm. Now, this song is a bloody classic. <laughs> Next one. I Ran So Far Away by A Flock of Seagulls. Bloody fantastic. And it got to number one uh, for two weeks in that year. Massive
0: Cheap Trick, who headlined Def Leppard when Def Leppard came here last time. Uh, if You Want My Love, uh, number 14. Mm,
1: that's not bad. Yeah, that's
0: a quite good trick. Uh, number 13 is Abracadabra by Steve Miliband. Now, Come On Eileen, a stone-cold stone classic by Dexy's Midnight Runners.
1: Yes, which unfortunately can't be said of the next track, I've Never Been to Me by Charlene. Absolute yes. turn of a song. It's been six weeks at number one. What's wrong with this country? <laughs> uh,
0: the... where, to, where to start, Mark? Where to oh start?
1: God. Had now... been elected by then? No, he has <laughs> not
0: <laughs> Breaking in at number 10 was Chicago's Hard to Say I'm Sorry, which yeah. um, didn't get to number one, but froze uh, yeah. a bit more from here.
1: No. Uh, Believe It or Not by Joey Scarborough. Uh, that was a uh, theme song to that, uh, was it? The greatest American, American hero? hero? Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. uh, Trouble, uh, by Lindsay Buckingham. That's a great track.
0: I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, which later went rose to number one.
1: Yep. Oh, uh, Mickey, uh, that's is that Tony that. Basil? No, yeah, no, it's actually Noel Clark. Um, coming soon to a defamation case. Is that thing. is
0: that the one? Uh, oh, Mickey, you're so you're so you blow my mind. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there's she was on countdown, and I've yeah, the kids around her are just absolutely loving the fact that she's running around in the yeah, skirt. Yeah, anyway, she's, she was
1: about 40 when she bloody did that song, did she? Yeah, she's like 107 now. <laughs> uh, breaking into number five is Key Largo by Bertie Higgins. Oh, that's a turn of a song, too. Okay, he's right. looking at you, kid. Awful. Uh, mm. Centrophile by uh. Jay Giles' band overplayed.
0: Is that My Girlfriend is a Cenophile?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that song.
0: Oh, here we go. Tainted Love by Soft Cell.
1: Yes. Mm. A cover version, that is. Is it? Yep. Gloria Jones did the original. Wow. Yeah. Gloria wow. Jones, who then uh, started going at Mark Bolan, and then uh, they had a bit of a car accident and he died.
0: Can't stop death, man.
1: This one, for our international listeners, might be a little bit uh, interesting. It's an Australian band called Moving Pictures. Yes. And uh, this song is called What About Me. What about
0: me? It isn't fair. I've had enough no one my shit, can't you see? I want
1: to live. You just take more than you. Best
0: one hit wonder ever.
1: Australian wise, you reckon? Yeah, I think so. They did another one, another song, but it's been, yeah, but this went for the number six weeks. Six weeks at number one. Six weeks at number
0: one. Crikey. Yeah. yeah. And Mark, arriving at number one, top selling single of 1982 was Eye of the Tiger, no doubt helped by Rocky Three, by the band Survivor. Six weeks at number one. Yeah. I used to be a devotee of, um, the top forty, Barry Bissell's top forty oh, yes. in the late eighties, early nineties. You know, on a Sunday yes. afternoon, I used to play it in Shepparton, where we were living, and uh, that was me gone for a few hours. So, yeah,
1: you got it a day later. We had it on Saturday
0: night. Well, we were in the country, mate. What kind of, They had yeah. to they had to drive the tapes up to uh, <laughs> Country yeah. Victoria.
1: Did they have a duplicate written on the uh, on the can like uh, like the tariff can that we did find? Yeah. By the we way, we did find. Yeah. No yeah. correspondence
0: will be entered into, but we certainly did find absolutely.
1: Yes. So, Mark.
0: They were the top-selling singles of 1982 in Australia.
1: Not many Australian uh, tracks in it? There, is there? Two or three? Two or three, really, yeah. Man at work. Oh, God, it's an awful song. Yes. Down Under. Overkill's a much better song than that. Mm. Six Week's at number one as well. Anyway. What can you say? Mm. What can
0: you say? Post in the middle of nowhere. You know, we, we just had to make do with what we had. Mark. Yes. I hear bells ringing. I hear the pitter-patter of snow falling. It must be December. December 82.
1: What did you get for Christmas? Can you remember? Oh,
0: it's possible that I got an Atari 2600.
1: Oh, you're rolling in it
0: then. My parents were. I think it's highly likely they they forked out for an Atari 2600 or they bought, you could get a Pac-Man knockoff as a console and it was a yellow, yellow edging, plastic edging. Yes. And... No, laughing. Was it called
1: Punk on, Man, was it? <laughs> on Christmas
0: Eve, I, I actually snuck it out of its box before oh, my wrapped it. Yeah. It was blanked. You bastard. They're worth, have you still got
1: that? It's worth a bit of, oh, bit of no, pretty mate. penny at the moment. I, I'd,
0: love to, I'd love to have it, but it, it mm. went the way of you know, all flesh at one point. Yeah, what about gone. the 2600? Was it the
1: Darth Vader version? The black it was, one? It or? was the black one, yeah. yeah. A, friend of mine,
0: a friend of mine had the wood version uh, from a yeah. couple, uh, year before. Um, but the And the Darth Vader one, I... I actually hung on to it into the 90s, and then when my folks moved out of, away from Melbourne, I, it, it went into the dumpster bin. I don't know what I was oh thinking. Oh my god! I'd kept it that long.
1: Oh, anyway. I feel anyway. sick.
0: Oh, I am sick, mate. There's a bloody landfill out not actually far from where <laughs> I live now because I'm within a few kilometres of where my parents were before they moved back to uh Have you seen that
1: documentary where they dug up all those ET cartridges? Yes. That's probably <laughs> you, mate. That's a
0: you next week. I, I read an article, Mark, uh, earlier this year that some Dutch fellow had thrown had, uh, his hard drive with his cryptocurrency password uh, had been thrown away, l- locking him out of, at that point, $500 million worth of cryptocurrency and he was he was trying to fund digging up the landfill that it had gotten into. <laughs> now, cryptocurrency is a fraud. It's not real. And it's unreal. And it, you know, anything that is limitless has basically no value. But anyway, the idea that some poor fellow is digging through a landfill somewhere in the Netherlands, which is no doubt, you know, as soon as he digs two feet down, he's is he's, he's sinking into water, is hilarious. Anyway. It's Christmas time uh-huh. in the UK, mate, and yes. uh, the snow is falling. Uh, mm-hmm. The temperature is plunging.
1: The recession is still biting hold over there.
0: Yes, yes. Thankfully, a a a, a war has saved Maggie's government from uh, potential defeat, and mm-hmm. also to celebrate. The return of Susan, Mark. With regard to the 90-minute anniversary story scheduled for November next year, you know, the one starring Trouton, Pertwee, Davison, Fielding and Ainley. Well, two more guest stars are confirmed. He's still not naming the Great White Whale, Mark. The mind boggles at how all these guests and doctors will fit into what is essentially one four-parter. The latest additions are Mordred Undead guest star Nicholas Courtney as Lethbridge-Stewart. And more importantly, wow, Carol Ann Ford has confirmed that she will return as the doctor's granddaughter, Susan. And here we are greeted with a marvellous paradox, no disrespect to anyone involved intended. The actress playing the doctor's granddaughter is older than the actor playing the current doctor. Well, at least it means she wasn't bumped off in Day of the Daleks. What
1: does that mean? Uh,
0: Is that a reference to the Dalek invasion?
1: So when they took over the Earth in *Day mm. of the Daleks*,
0: that that alternative Earth that they yeah. doesn't quite yeah doesn't quite match up. But anyway, uh, answers on the back of a postcard, please. Mm. Uh, still no writer or title for the special has been given by the production office, or a date when it'll go out. Although, as they still haven't confirmed when it'll go out next January, it's too much to expect them knowing when something later in the year will go out. Mm. A bit of snark there from Gary. And that nicely brings me on to the BBC's planned convention for next spring. Still no official title has been designated, though some of the rumoured ones would make your mind blow at the stupidity of them. No, I'm not going to reveal them. They may pick one of them and guess who will have egg on his face then. But at long last, dates are confirmed... Okay, so there's some dates here, Mark. Uh, mm. the Easter holiday, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Talk about uh, registration, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting.
1: Mm. Do you ring at jt and get tickets or what do we do? Well, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure his number.
0: <laughs> does no one Did no one ever hear of a private listing in the phone book?
1: <laughs> he probably did. He didn't want Dr. Who fans ringing, but he wanted a Bunga Bunga Party attendees to get my call. Speaking uh, of Bunga Bunga Party, this one uh, is, doesn't sound great. It says Terminus Terminates. Oh, here we go. Shada part two. Due to industrial action at the BBC during uh, the end of October, beginning of November, the fourth story of the 20th season, Terminus, by Stephen Gallagher, came to a production standstill. Unlike the infamous The Lost Story, Terminus will be remounted. This necessitates through hiring one presumed to the cast and director as soon as possible. As this issue of Celestial and goes to press, the remount hasn't taken place, and as Enlightenment has already commenced production of Ealing Film Studios' I have no idea just when shooting will be finished off. All in all, a rather ironic situation for a story entitled Terminus. Moving on to next season, that's the 21st in case you've lost count, as well as JNT staying on as producer, Eric Saywood is definitely carrying on in his capacity as script editor.
0: One big happy family there, Mark.
1: <laughs> I can hear J.R. Southall going, oh no. So said, over to Blackpool Doctor Who Illuminations now. Things have been updated and the image of Tom Baker has regenerated to Peter Davison which is rather silly when you see that the monsters involved are still the season 12 bunch plus Saigon's. Back to this season and this time to Enlightenment. As I, as I started above, production is underway on that now, and apart from Cyril Luckham's reappearance as a White Guardian, we have two more guest stars that have appeared before in Doctor Who. Remember Linda Barron from The Gunfighters? She was the singer, in quotes. Well, she turns up as uh, in the Clegg Penn tale as Rack, while Peter Salas is striker. Salas' last Doctor Who story was uh, the scientist Penley in the classic 67 story, The Ice Warriors. Classic. Right, interestingly enough that uh, Peter Salas was um, was originally cast as Striker, and uh, ironically, because of the Striker, couldn't make the revised dates, that's when they got, uh, what's his name, Keith Baronin to uh, play that role instead. I like how they put the, uh, she was the, quote, singer. That singer. In the, yeah. Yeah, The Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon, if it was. And uh, yeah, Calling the Ice Warriors, the classic 67 story, it's not very good.
0: Just just shows that no one had seen it uh, for 15 years. So is very good, though. I enjoyed that when I was a boy. It is, when right? I were a lad, it was a very
1: good book. There's a bit of a pleased note here. Further to the mention on page one, the electrician strike at the BBC has caused a postponement of the first studio recording for Enlightenment. So things are going very well uh, recording of the 20th season there. Now,
0: Mark, as we roll to the end of our uh, look through the CTs for 1982, Mm. there's this final editorial from Gary. Shall I read it out?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, 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 it hardly seems 19 months since terrible spelling, awful typos, and horrendous grammar infected your regular monthly newsletter, yet it is. And now, tis my last editorial reading, and as it says on the front page, I've no idea who is doing the job next year, but so long as you give him or her the help and support a majority of you have given me, then that person ought to have a good time doing it. Just to be self-indulgent for a second, I'd like to take this chance to say thanks to the few amiable folk who've helped me out considerably over the last year and a half. First to my team of Peter Angelides and Andrew Martin for their contributions. Peter in particular, who took a terrific weight off my shoulders by running a column which I personally loathe, but everyone else liked. <laughs> Nothing like friends, sticking the yeah. knife into other friends. Wow. <laughs> Thanks also to two certain professional people, firstly JNT, for all his help and enthusiasm and the drink at the Panopticon last August, and to Alan McKenzie, who apart from being a massive help with Marvel News is plainly and simply a super guy and long may he remain in charge of the monthly. Uh, Just a bit of backstory. If you read through these CTs, Gary very good uh, naturedly ribbed um, Alan McKenzie through his entire run, um, you know, (laughs) helpfully pointing out, you know, errors and mistakes and uh, just uh, giving him nicknames that are, you know, gently amusing. Gary uh, begins to conclude by saying, and of course, thanks to everyone who sent in bits and pieces ranging from target proofs to what it is for the long-dead trivia section. Don't stop sending them to the newsletter. They are of enormous use for 101 different reasons. And finally, to the rest of the DWAS executive for giving me the chance in the first place, especially David S. and Chris Dunk. Hope to see you around at Panopticon, local group meetings, big Finnish green rooms, Australian <laughs> animation studios, and other Lord. such gatherings, especially in Wales, especially in <laughs> Wales and Cardiff. And, and Laws
1: of forget, Time Convention in Melbourne.
0: Yes, and don't forget, there's always Shada. Plug,
1: me, cheers, Gary. Ah, bless you, Gary. Hope you're doing well.
0: So, Mark, what do you take out of that year's supply of celestial tour rooms? Oh,
1: well, it's overly positive, isn't it, really? Like, there's not much bad news apart from towards the end where it sort of says there's a few strikes going on. It's got a bit of a sense of humour, hasn't it, really, the way it sort of uh, gives a, it conveys the news. It's very matter-of-fact a couple of rumblings around the way the show is going and it sort of a, it feels a need to address those fairly head on and I don't know whether it's to try and uh, keep JT and t on the good books, I'm not too sure, but look, news is plentiful and the, the interesting thing is that these publications have still actually got more news in these publications for a year than the entire Chris Chibnall uh, era.
0: That's true. I mean, look, they, they do. I mean, if you wanted to have that information, the free flow of that information to the, the, the celestial tour Room and to its members, I mean, the CT is in service of its members. The society is in service of its members. You've got to, I suppose, keep nice with the production team, especially JNT. Yeah. Um, so it's no surprise that there is no carving up. Uh, of you know his approach and his stories uh, as you would you know later find with DWB. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I mean you can go there would have been many places you could have gone for some possibly more honest uh, opinions about how the show has developed over the last year or two uh, to that point. but you can understand why you know people like Gary uh, have taken the approach that they did and I, I look you know not knowing him, but in knowing his career, I suppose he's very much an, an inside player. Uh, Other than that memorable editorial in uh, DWM 10 years later, he's done a great deal of good in terms of, you know, uh, contributing to the show, contributing to fandom. And in a sense, he gets his start here, doesn't he?
1: He does. And I don't think the animosity and the, and the bile directed at JT and certainly is not coming through this publication. And so, actually, to be honest, it doesn't come through the publication even during the 85, 86 years. I think DWB is the the alternate voice when it comes to um, criticism and and uh, commentary on the program. There,
0: there, look, there's clearly a place for criticism. I mean, no show is sacrosanct. But if, as you say, you know, in the, the, the sort of the low point in 84, 85, uh, if the celestial toy room was taking, was still sort of being a little bit deliberately blind to what was going on or what was happening, that slightly misses the mark because, in that sense, you're not doing your members the sort of service that they deserve, uh, in a sense. But, you know, look, it's an approach that you can you can understand uh, why they would take.
1: It'd be very interesting as we go through these, that um, when we get to the 83, 84, 85 for CT. How they sort of stack up in parallel to what we covered on DWB many, many moons ago in terms of how they convey the, the different information, in some cases the same information. So that's going exactly. to be very interesting when we, when we sort of um, get stuck into that sort of stuff. But before we, uh, we, we sort of round out the news, there's got a bit of target news uh, coming through here like notice. So in terms of the books coming out for uh, 1983, there is the Dalek Omnibus. Uh, that's coming out at uh, £8.25 and a half. Wow. Yeah, wow. You could have and
0: bought a house for £8.75 back then. Exactly.
1: The and it's basically putting Dalek Evasion of Earth, Planet of the Daleks, and Genesis of Daleks all in one book. Are they in that, uh, those, that those two volumes, Terence D? X books they just released the, them last the most year. recent ones. I, yeah. I would be
0: surprised if they weren't.
1: I think Dark Invasion should be, yeah. After mm. I've got them on the shelf, haven't you read them yet. It's one of those many things I <laughs> haven't got around to yet. And as you read in the monthly, W.H. Allen are also planning a large format hardback book about the series. And this is being edited by Peter Haining, a name normally associated with the horror genre. It is rumored that the book may contain some never before seen stills don't they all, says Gary, although a bit of class ought to creep in. Own JJB, a.k.a. Jerry uh, Bentham, has more than a slight hand in it. Target assures that the prices on other oh, formats for hardback and paperback will not be going up during the year. However, the Megloss cover is a good runner-up for the most boring target cover in history to the visitation. Beware of the uh, new cover of The Abominable Snowman. It's now travel-less and now boasts a surprise yeti. There will also be new covers for uh, Pyramids of Mars and Planet of Evil. Both are bakerless. I actually quite like the original covers for Pyramids of Mars and Planet of Evil more than the real uh, reprints, to be
0: honest. Interesting. Mm. And just before we go, Mark, after our epic tour through the Celestial Toy Room, we're going to be going through uh, and continuing with our 1982 theme uh, by looking at uh, a variety of letters uh, from Celestial Toy Room and a variety of other fanzines such as uh, Scarrow and TARDIS uh, from that particular era, just to get a sense of what fans were thinking and saying 40 years ago. I, for one, am certainly looking forward to it.
1: I agree. There's some interesting stuff in there, Rob. And there's a couple of, uh, let's be honest, crazy articles in there that I'm sure will shock and offend and uh, make us laugh and cry as well. And there's actually a picture in one of these articles that I'm going to use uh, when we release this the uh, letters episode, as it were, I'm going to uh, put up on our blog because it is absolutely hilarious.
0: Is it almost as good as our uh, images from the, uh, the 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 Doctor <laughs> Who knitting guide.
1: <laughs> yes, we're still getting royalties for that, Rob. Actually, yes. Although <laughs> at the moment, I think uh, I don't think we'd fit into them at the moment with our uh, respective girths. Uh, mm, mm, hashtag mm, cover mm, kilos. But uh, yes. yeah, there's a picture there, Rob. That yeah is going on the front cover. It's an absolute stonker.
0: So I hope everyone has enjoyed our little tour through uh, at least the news of 19. uh, 40 years ago this year. Uh, I've had a lot of fun with it, Mark, and I I hope you have too, and I hope our listeners have have as well. So until next time,
1: I've been Rob. And I've been Mark, and we'll speak again soon. You've
0: just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to doomsday.wordpress.com where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.